Hi, this is Lauren Flynn, host of Under the Gavel. This is our last episode, at least for this season, and at least until or unless an appeal happens or something else interesting. Last week, our court reporter, Pauline Rappard, was in court for closing arguments. She said that closing arguments didn't reveal anything that we haven't already discussed. There was no new evidence introduced. There were no points made that seemed like we hadn't already discussed them. Pauline and I do talk about them a little bit in this episode, but if you want to read more about what happened in court during closing arguments, you can look on our website, sandiegouniontribune.com. Her stories from last week are all up there. This week, our court reporter, Pauline Reppard, reported on closing arguments, and then she took Wednesday off, which, of course, was the day that the verdict was read. So Pauline wasn't in court for the verdict, but one of our reporters, Greg Moran, was there. Pauline was in court on Thursday when everyone came back into court to discuss the potential of the plaintiff seeking punitive damages. And perhaps most surprising, to me at least, Pauline got an exclusive interview with Adam Shacknai. We discuss all of that in the final episode, for now, of Under the Gavel, the Rebecca Zahau case. Pauline, there's been a verdict in the case, in the Rebecca Zahau case. We now know that Adam Shacknai was found legally responsible for her death. Did Adam Shacknai touch Rebecca Zahau? before Rebecca Zahau's death with the intent to harm her? The answer is yes. That happened on Wednesday when Mm -hmm. the jury returned their verdict. They had deliberated for about three and a half hours over the course of Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning. And we thought that was going to be days. Well, I I thought it would be more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, though, they they felt they had an instinct that it was going to be fast. Mm -hmm. And, of course, nobody knows if their instincts are correct. Right. Um, those people were, as it turned out, but, yeah. but you can't really know. And in fact, the attorneys have said they couldn't read the jury at all. Mm. Um, they have no idea. They look at their faces. They they don't think they know what they're thinking. Yeah. What comes next? Well, attorneys and everyone on both sides, I think, were, were kind of left with their heads reeling um, for opposite reasons. And the defense attorney already knew he would be filing an appeal and before that, he plans to file a motion that would go straight to the trial judge. It's called a uh, to ask the the uh, court for a judgment, notwithstanding the verdict. And that means that they're asking the judge to basically set aside the verdict and enter the judge's own finding that mm-hmm. the defendant is not liable. So what is the the point of having then a jury and a trial if the judge is just going to throw the jury's verdict out the window? Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's instituted as a safeguard um, on the hypothetical possibility that a jury out there could really be found to have not followed the rules, not listened to the evidence, not paid attention, not given a fair hearing. Um, perhaps they blab and make it known that they had prejudices from the start mm-hmm. that they had hidden. Um, there could be all kinds of reasons that a judge might find that the jury did not um, do what they were tasked to do correctly, mm-hmm. and and that 
that the perhaps the those putting on the case had done a such a poor job that there's just no question in law that not enough evidence had been submitted to get a uh, a judgment against the defendant mm-hmm. or um you know if if we're talking a criminal case to to find that the defendant was guilty right um so so this type of uh, proceeding just allows the judge to recognize that the jury has way exceeded its bounds mm. and that that verdict should be set aside. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a, a safety net. So that's the, that's the first thing that he's going to try. Right. That, that'll that be first because that would go right to the same trial judge directly. Mm-hmm. And um, she would probably get um, some papers from the other side opposing that idea. Mm-hmm. And she would read them both and, come to a decision so that would probably be done in another court hearing to to announce that decision um you know that would be big news if she did that the defense has tried two other ways to get rid of this case before it ever started that obviously didn't work and then in the middle of the trial um, the defense asked that it be stopped and ended right there because no evidence was being presented and the judge declined to do that too. She threw out one of the three causes of action that was a very minor uh, allegation, but she let go forward the two main ones, the Mm. wrongful death and the battery, and that is what the jury then had to work with. Right. If that's the first step that the defense is going to take, what would Mm -hmm. happen afterwards if she didn't? Right. Then I, I assume that the judgment would be officially entered as this is the way it is, and then decisions have to be made about how Adam Shackney would be ordered to begin paying off the damages that mm-hmm. he's been assessed. It was $5 million for Rebecca's mother's loss of her daughter's love and companionship and support mm-hmm. and uh, affection, and right. another $167,000 that was calculated that if if Rebecca had lived and continued to essentially donate about $400 every month to the expenses that her mother and younger siblings had, that that would add up to about that over mm-hmm. what her mother's life expectancy might be. Interesting. Yeah. So the, so that sum of money is to make up for what she wouldn't get mm-hmm. from Rebecca. And that's a lot of money. It is a lot of I money. I can't imagine a tugboat captain makes that much money. He does not. No. Um, I interviewed Adam Shacknai. Uh, yesterday, and I did ask him if he'd be willing to tell me what he earns, and he declined mm. to, and his attorney had declined to also. But right. he said, he, he told me he gets paid well, but uh, nothing like uh, to just hand out $5 million. Yeah. I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had Googled some sites uh, mm. looking into tugboat Captain Pay in mm. Memphis, which is where Adam Shacknight lives. And some of those sites, which, you know, are not necessarily accurate, mm-hmm. but um, they suggested that maybe an average of $72,000 a year, maybe $82,000. Um, I know his lawyer said to a bunch of reporters that in Tennessee, you get paid quite a bit less than the average that mm-hmm. other people get. Just um, the cost of living is lower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's making en- enough He's making a good amount of money to support his lifestyle and right. the way he lives. But that right. is, I can't do the math right now, but 72 
$80,000 a year, divide $5 million by that, it's it would take years of his full salary without taxes to right. I think without that, taxes taken out yeah, to pay that. Yeah, I think so, that the plaintiff's attorney Keith Greer s- suggested that he he could expect Adam would be requested to pay about four hundred four five hundred dollars a month, which was okay. basically Rebecca's payment. Right, and that nobody will probably ever see that five million. Mm-hmm. What happens if he's legally ordered to pay that and he can't? What happens? Um, well, they can garnish his wage for a reasonable amount. You can't, mm-hmm. in this country, you can't be made to have to give up your home or your primary car. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if he had a lot of extras, you know, he could perhaps be ordered that, you know, mm-hmm. if he needs to make a payment, then maybe he needs to sell his, you know, five homes in other countries. Mm-hmm. And I'm, he doesn't yeah. have those, but... Um, but hypothetically. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I I think that those kind of judgments are supposed to come within a practical reality. Mm-hmm. So then what's the point of then suing for an exorbitant amount of money mm-hmm. that you know the defendant's never going to be able to pay? Right. Well, and to that point, um, Attorney Greer has said pretty much right along, this has not been about the money. This was to get this out in the public, to mm-hmm. show the public she didn't commit suicide. She wasn't that kind of person. And to get the sheriff to reopen the case. Have we heard from the sheriff's department? Yes. Sheriff Bill Gore, uh, through his people, issued statements that day saying that he stands by their initial investigation and the initial autopsy findings that it was suicide. But we remain open to sitting down with the attorneys and looking to make sure there's nothing we missed or maybe we interpreted something wrong. We'll look at it again if that's what they'd like to do. To which Mr. Greer answered, there is no new evidence, Sheriff Gore. It's mm-hmm. the same evidence that's, as he put it, been staring you at the face for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and indeed, there really wasn't any new evidence found and, and uh, displayed in the courtroom mm-hmm. in the course of this trial. Um, the sheriff's did their investigation, they collected what they collected, they fingerprinted and DNA swabbed what they did, and they listed evidence and they photographed evidence. And that's pretty much what the defense or the plaintiffs rather had to work with to analyze all of that on their own. Mm -hmm. Well, what does it really mean? We don't think it means what the sheriff said it means, but here's the same object. Mm -hmm. What do we think it means? Right. And this whole thing just reiterated that there is no physical evidence that Adam had anything to do with it. Right. And of course, that's what his lawyer, Daniel Webb, mm-hmm. emphasized throughout the trial. Every witness, mm-hmm. he would ask, did you find any fingerprints of Adam Shacknight on any piece of evidence? And no matter which side the expert was on, the expert said, no, we didn't. Any DNA? No. Any footprints? No. Any any blood, you know, any, anything, is there any eyewitness? Was there any documents that suggested he was in there or had touched the scene? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no, every, every time. And from their point of view, the fact that his prints were not found on knives and his DNA was not found on knots on the ropes proved that he hadn't touched them. Mm. The plaintiff's answer to that, of course, was it proved he wiped off those surfaces Mm -hmm. or that he wore gloves or that he doesn't readily shed 
DNA off his skin as much as some other people may do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did. It is still, it, it, I don't feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. Like the verdict didn't tell me anything else that I, it didn't confirm that she was killed. Didn't confirm that she killed herself. It just left me with more questions mm-hmm. sort of about the legal process and not necessarily about what did he do it or not. Right. And and I think people are going to have those mixed reactions. Mm-hmm. There's people who've always thought one way or the other, and I think they're going to agree with you that they, those who thought it was homicide will feel vindicated. I always knew it was homicide, and mm-hmm. the jury has said it is homicide. Therefore, it, it is, it was. Um, but a lot of people who had... Um, still doubts as to what it was, or certainly those who felt it was suicide are not g- mm-hmm. going to be satisfied that this mm-hmm. was the last word or the correct word. Right. Um, and even people that I know that I've talked to friends of mine who have thought this whole time it was a homicide and at the whole time were saying like, oh, he totally did it. He totally killed her. They're, they're coming to me now and saying like, but there was no evidence. And I'm like, that's sort of what I was trying to tell you the whole time is that like it does. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. I don't want to put my opinion out. I'll put my opinion out here. It's the end of the, <laughs> the end of this season probably. Um, but to me, it's a, it's a suspicious death, but there's no evidence that he did it. So I can't say for sure. I, I'm not mm-hmm. confident that he did it. And right. so I felt a little, I was excited to hear the verdict but I felt a little unsatisfied with it. Mm-hmm. But I think I would have felt unsatisfied either way. Mm-hmm. Had they not, I would have been like, well, what about all these other things that they've said? Right, right. It's just a weird case that there's mm-hmm. no way to know. Yeah, the court was often filled with court watchers, just random people mm-hmm. who were interested and you know, are retired or had the time on their mm-hmm. hands to do it, or attorneys that wanted to listen for a couple of hours mm-hmm. and, and then go on about their business. And one of the very regular court watchers um, told me that she came in absolutely believing it had been a homicide and that he did it. And after sitting through it all, she came to the opposite conclusion. She mm-hmm. she did a 180 in her thinking. Yeah. Now, she actually didn't come to court, um, I think, the day of the verdict or after she kind of gave up on, on it mm-hmm. and, and went her way. So I don't know what she thought about it mm. later, whether she thought, well, maybe my original opinion was right or mm-hmm. no, no, they're wrong. They should have been persuaded as I was. Right. <laughs> Well, if you're listening to this and you are that court watcher, feel free to contact us just for our own. We can have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Lauren.Flynn at SDUnionTribune.com or Pauline.Rappard at SDUnionTribune.com. <laughs> I want to talk about the reactions of both sides after the verdict was read, the initial mm-hmm. reactions. Mm-hmm. I watched the verdict read live on the internet and before they polled the jury, both Keith Greer and Rebecca's sister, Mary, were crying. 
before the verdict. Before, well, right when the verdict was read, but oh, before uh-huh. they pulled the jury to mm-hmm. say the, see the numbers. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I know they kind of enveloped each other in a very big hug at yeah. the defense table or at the yes. plaintiff's table. Most of the time while the verdict was being read, the camera was on Adam's face. Mm-hmm. And he didn't seem to have any real emotional reaction. I mean, he was just kind of like head down, staring at the table in front of him. Mm-hmm. Didn't really have... Didn't seem like he felt anything. Yeah. So I want to know because of that, though. I'll I'll Mm. interrupt and say that it was our photographer Nell Cepeda who got the photo of Greer and Rebecca's sister in that deep hug Mm -hmm. of relief afterwards, and he got a picture of Keith turning around and giving this big smile and big thumbs up. Mm -hmm. He said later it was partly to the the supportive members of the gallery and also to the sister Mary Zahal Learners husband who mm. had been there most of the time mm-hmm. as well. He was sitting in a back row. Mm-hmm. And so Keith Greer said, I was looking at Doug, her husband, but it was for everybody back there mm-hmm. that had, had been kind of on right. emotionally on his team. Mm-hmm. So what was the reaction from both sides? That well, you heard? I mean, you've just described yeah. the, the physical reaction and um, Keith Greer was really emotional at the end of his own closing statements. And I I imagine that his emotions remained high on the edge Mm -hmm. all night and the next morning. Um, I think the defense was hugely shocked. Such an injustice to be completely innocent of anything wrong. I mean, done nothing wrong, got on the witness stand, told the jury the truth, and yet now finds himself found liable uh, in connection with a wrongful death that he had absolutely nothing to do with. On Thursday, everybody came back to the courtroom because after after the verdict and the award of damages that was said, mm-hmm. um, Keith Greer had the legal right then to ask for punitive damages. And it, w- it was up to him. So they brought the jury back Thursday morning because the jury would have had to have listened to arguments and then, you know, decided whether mm-hmm. to uh, award those damages and if so, how much. What are punitive damages? Um, it's it's something that's more common in corporate lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Um, you sue Toyota because the airbag didn't work right, and you um, find out that they knew it for thirty years mm-hmm. and did nothing about it. So maybe the damage to you from that airbag not going off was only. A million dollars in your medical expenses, but to make them behave and admit that they did wrong, Mm. you hit them with $30 million in punitive damages to get their attention Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't have hidden that for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to suggest at all that Toyota has ever done anything (laughs) wrong. A lot of manufacturers have been sued for different things, tobacco companies, you Mm -hmm. know, you, you logically seek large punitive damages to hit a corporation where it hurts Mm -hmm. because maybe your actual losses aren't that bad, but you want to literally punish them for their bad behavior, for lying to the public all this time, or not correcting a defect that they knew all about Mm -hmm. all along. Right. And governments can do that too if they sue a company for for consumer fraud, Mm -hmm. maybe you know, there's only four victims and the total damages are $2 million. But if you want them to stop doing that, you, I see. you add the punitive damages. Gotcha. So Keith Greer, you know, after saying it wasn't about the money and 
he had Adam Shacknai's financial information. He he had to be given that as his right in order to examine what kind of money could I get out of this fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, it was confidential, you know, person's financial information. And he looked at those and he realized they're not going to see the five million, let alone any point in in getting another twenty five million dollar mm-hmm. punitive damages or a hundred million or right. or even another you know, 100,000 maybe. Um, so when they all convened in court on Thursday, he announced that he that he would be waiving seeking any punitive damages. Gotcha. Um, so that ended that. And therefore, Adam's financial information remained confidential. Mm-hmm. It was not put out there in court. It was not given to the jury. Mm-hmm. The jury was dismissed. And they were told that if they would like to make their views known or anything, that they were welcome to talk to reporters Mm. or if they would like to talk to the attorneys, give the attorneys a chance to say, what did we do wrong? What Mm -hmm. did you, what did we do right? Um, That they could stick around. They didn't. Mm. Uh, All of them left, even their four person spokesman Mm -hmm. um, out a back way. They were escorted down corridors that the public has no access to. The lawyers really wanted to hear from them. Sure. And kind of chased around the building physically looking Mm. for them to see if they could get even one to comment. And they Mm -hmm. found none of them. Wow. Um, So to this day, we have no idea what swayed the jury, if there was a particular bit of evidence, if the life-size mannequin that was hanging from a scaffold in the courtroom was influential, mm-hmm. if they just didn't like, you know, an attorney's demeanor, or if um, if they agreed, yeah, all the, all the law was your way, but, you know, that isn't justice, and we mm-hmm. wanted justice, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll never know if they right. don't speak up in some forum. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody, nobody will ever know. Yeah. Bummer. (laughs) It's very frustrating (laughs) for attorneys and I think for the public too. Yeah, Um, definitely. Yeah. And it was nine to three, um, the vote, it wasn't a unanimous 12, Mm -hmm. uh, juror verdict. And so, you know, I think they would have liked to have known, well, why did three people not, think Adam mm-hmm. was liable for the death. Um, and it was consistently those same three people, it seemed. They read out juror number two, oh, nine, mm-hmm. and 12 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed pretty consistent that those were the mm-hmm. three that were, or if it was... The holdouts. Yeah, if yeah. it was 11 to one. Yeah, yeah. One one of those three was the one. Right. And I think in a prior podcast, I probably misstated the the... Um, civil processes, I think I had said before, you can have a 10 to 2 vote, and it's actually 9 to 3. Mm-hmm. The The law states that it's three quarters of the civil jury panel. Okay. And you can actually seat fewer than 12 on a civil jury if you want. Mm-hmm. Some matters are really small and quick, and you can seat six of them if if both sides agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so three quarters of that panel. So the law doesn't say the number, it just says three quarters of the panel have to agree. And in, in the case of 12, that would be nine. Right. And that's what happened. And that is what happened. I understand that you had an exclusive interview with Adam Shacknai yesterday. Right, Friday? on Friday, that, yes, two days after the verdict, and he'd had a little time to, to settle in and think about it all. Can you tell us exactly how that, how that happened? Because that's, when, I heard that, when I heard that you were meeting with him, I was floored. 
I was like, <laughs> how does this happen? I thought he reached out to you looking for an interview, looking to say something, but I think I was wrong in that case. Right. That, yeah, he did not. Right. Um, his girlfriend actually emailed me and said, thank you for the even-handed coverage from the mm-hmm. Union Tribune that, that was appreciated. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote back and I said, well, thank you very much. And by the way, would would Adam and you be willing to talk about this? Mm-hmm. And she wrote back and said, Adam would like to do that and gave me his cell phone number. So I called him. They were still in San Diego. We met and talked for a little over an hour. Mm-hmm. He was very nice about everything. He was he was cautious. He didn't have his attorney there to say, don't answer that. Mm-hmm. And, and he did think about his answers very carefully before he formulated the words that he wanted recorded mm-hmm. of, of how he was reacting to things. Um, mostly he said that he's still, and he's, it said, it mixed a little bit with what he said on camera after the hearing in which the punitive damages were not invoked, mm-hmm. um, every, everybody met in front of the cameras, and and he said, uh, A lot worse things have happened to a lot better people, so this is nothing to me. I'm standing tall. I'm not worried about these posers. They got away with something once. They got lucky. They say it's better to be lucky than good. They got lucky one time. I don't think they're going to get lucky again. At, at that time, he said you know, the, the law enforcement had already exonerated him once Mm -hmm. by not filing charges, saying we have no evidence. And he said, when Sheriff Gore came out after the verdict and said, we stand by our findings, that that he felt it exonerated him again. So in our interview, he he pretty much indicated the same thing. Um, And he, um, the one thing he did say was that at the beginning of the whole case, he felt no animosity towards Rebecca Zahau's family for Mm -hmm. pursuing this lawsuit. He said, I just thought they wanted to um, grieve publicly. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, the way it turned out, he said um, he was finding it a little harder to um, continue with that much goodwill towards them. Sure. But that's about as far as he went on mm-hmm. that. He he didn't express any bitterness or, or anything toward mm-hmm. them. He, he did cast doubts. He said he wasn't sure that the plaintiffs, that is Rebecca's family mm-hmm. and their lawyer, really believed what they were saying, mm-hmm. that that she had been murdered and that he did it. Um, he, he thinks that they can't possibly believe that, that they have to know that that isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he certainly you know maintains that it isn't true, that he didn't do it. He said he's looking forward to getting back home, getting back to work, that his boss says, you know, you're welcome back mm-hmm. to his job as a tugboat captain and pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith Greer said after the trial that even if he loses the appeal and the defense wins an appeal, he says, will it really matter? What we wanted was to get it out there on a platform. Right. So then they win either way. Well, they win that point. Yeah. Right. Now, if, if they think they want jury validation of their own beliefs, they would not get, I mean, they would still have had the jury say what it said, Mm And it, I guess it would depend on what the grounds were for the appeal um, and, and what the appeals court found. If if they said the jury was wrong, there was no evidence, then the family might lose their sense of vindication. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell. Yeah. And, you know, if you lose on appeal, 
they could file another suit and try again, in right. theory. Yeah. Um, in a criminal case, if you charge a man with murder and lose, you can't keep trying him until mm-hmm. you get a, a guilty verdict. That's right. it. But in a civil case, you know, you could try to find some new grounds and mm-hmm. try the whole thing. That's not going to happen Mm. because they have no money to yeah. to pay for things. Um, Keith Greer said that he practically bankrupted his own law firm wow. paying for this case. Um, Zahao's sister and her husband have incomes, but they're not wealthy people. Zahao's mother has, in her older age, gone back to work, which she hadn't been doing for years. And she's in Missouri with her daughter and she's working in a pork packing Hmm. facility. I don't know how old she is. Um, Rebecca was 32. Mary's a little older. Mm -hmm. Um, So mom's going to be in her 60s probably, if Mm -hmm. if not possibly older. Um, So it's a rough time to go back to work in in such conditions. So they don't have a lot of money to, to pay attorney's fees and experts mm-hmm. that could cost 200 300 $800 an hour mm-hmm. for their time. Mr. Greer put up most of that, and he said that he even had to get into the safe where cash is kept as like the most extreme emergency that the law firm could have of something mm-hmm. unexpected happening. And he even dipped into that. And he said openly that if this case had gone on another couple of months, he couldn't have financed it anymore. He would wow. he would have been done. And okay. what he was up against was a law firm with international offices. Um, they bill, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour themselves. Right. And the experts that they would hire would be doing the same. Um, Mr. Webb, the defense attorney, told me in an interview that he has not yet figured out its costs and he has not yet sent out any bills. Because it did not come out in public and court testimony, he declined to say who he would be sending the bills mm. to. Interesting. That's and, what I wanted to know. Yeah, too, Adam so. also declined. Because um, I heard that Jonah said he's not, he wouldn't give a, a dime. But I don't, that's, maybe I heard wrong. For his brother's defense? Well, I didn't know if it was for his brother's defense or if it was to the plaintiffs paying for his brother's. Right. I didn't. Yeah, I, I, there's been a lot of speculation that his brother Jonah, being a rich man, would be the one who's financing the defense mm-hmm. costs. Um, he has not been sued or implicated in any way in the death, so there mm-hmm. would be no reason that he should pay off right. any awards to the plaintiffs. Um, he he would know his brother can't pay mm-hmm. and and therefore is, is not going to be rendered penniless right. by those verdicts. Yeah. You also talked to Dan Webb? The defense lawyer. Right. What did he say? Um, Well, one of the things... I can't imagine that he's feeling very good about him. No, no. I mean, he's internationally known. He wins his cases. I mean, Mm -hmm. he sues major corporations all the time and and wins. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think he was expecting to lose this one. Sure. I've never had that happen to me before. I hope it never happens again because it's not a very good feeling of seeing that happen. But he did say that if he had to do this case over again, he would try it the same way and emphasize the same points, mm. that there was no evidence that his client was in the room where Rebecca died. Was not in the room? Was, yeah. There's, well, there's no <laughs> yeah. evidence that he oh, was. I see. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see. yeah. Uh, that he wasn't. And there's no evidence that he was. Right. So he's confident that he didn't do anything. 
He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't slip up. It just... Well, not that he ad- admitted to me and just thinking during the interview. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah. he, he might, you know, come to think that maybe he should have questioned one witness differently mm-hmm. or something. Um, that, that would be hard to, to know right away. Mm-hmm. Pauline, do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I think we've covered the ground fairly thoroughly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's millions of things to say and endless speculations. And right. as you said earlier, I don't know if if, if everybody's going to be satisfied with this verdict mm-hmm. for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's been the source of too much discussion for too long. And mm-hmm. I don't know if people will just let it go now that there's a verdict. Right. Well, this is going to be our last episode until or unless there is a an appeal right there might be something to talk about then to, you know appeals mm-hmm. court decision comes down mm-hmm. and especially if it changes the verdict in any way that right. would certainly be newsworthy and and i would like to if if the case gets reopened if the sheriff reopens the case for whatever reason in the mm-hmm. future i would obviously like to talk about that as well that would certainly be a big step yeah but these are all hypothetical right. so i guess right. we will cross that bridge when we get there mm-hmm. well great it's been really a uh, very interesting, very good learning experience for me, and I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. If you have any questions, comments, information, notes, anything, please feel free to email me at lauren.flynn at sduniontribune.com. This week's Under the Gavel team includes myself, Lauren Flynn, as executive producer and editor. Our reporting is by Greg Moran and Pauline Reppard. Special thanks to our media partner, Fox 5 San Diego, for providing us with sound from the courtroom. Our artwork is by Gloria Orbegozo and Christina Bivik. And John McCutcheon is our editorial director. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Lauren Flynn. Thanks for listening. <laughs>